Welcome to 2021, everybody. Good times. This is a new episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast only on the Legal Talk Network. Twice a month, we're delivering law practice management tips and tricks directly to your ear holes. My name is Jared Korea, and because Wink Martindale was unavailable, I'm your host. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the CEO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads. You can find out more about Gideon at gideon.legal. Before we get rolling, I'd like to take a moment to thank my mom for listening to every episode. Thanks, mom. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. They're the reason you're listening to this show right now. We would like to thank Alert Communications for sponsoring this podcast. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers. Providing solutions since 1999, TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com One thing you can say about Jim Carrey is that he always commits. He is an actor who once forced his entire naked, sweating body through a life-sized rubber rhino's anus for the sake of a bit. Orson Welles tears up the bedroom in a rage in Citizen Kane. Jim Carrey protects himself from rhinoceros' butthole in Ace Ventura when nature calls. Potato, potato, my friends. That is acting. Obviously, I love Jim Carrey. Not only is he my bucket list podcast guest, he's also one of the funniest comedians to ever grace the planet, frankly. So, Jim Carrey owned the early 90s, starting with his run on the sketch comedy show In Living Color and continuing through what was a truly unbelievable 1994 when he came out with Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber in the same year. So The Mask was mostly a kid's movie that was based on a gritty comic book and they stripped most of the grit out of the film. But the Ace Ventura films, Dumb and Dumber, those are some of the funniest movies ever made. And 25 years later, I can still quote all the dialogue from memory. And of course, you know, Jim Carrey is still a popular comedian. He's on Saturday Night Live right now doing Joe Biden. But by the way, if you want peak SNL Jim Carrey, I would suggest watching the skit where he's a lifeguard at a hot tub with Will Ferrell. That shit is hilarious. While late period Jim Carrey is represented by Mostly children's movies like Mr. Popper's Penguins and Sonic the Hedgehog. It is unfortunate that he's largely abandoned dramatic roles at this point in his career. Because what most people forget is that Jim Carrey is also an excellent dramatic actor who is too often typecast in those comedic roles. Now, interestingly enough, Jim Carrey actually won back-to-back Golden Globe Awards for Best Actor for The Truman Show, which came out in 1998. And if you haven't seen that, that's really prescient about how we consume content today. It's a dude who is essentially kidnapped as a baby and his whole life is on television. That was 1998. 1999, he wins again for Man on the Moon, 
which is an Andy Kaufman biopic. And if you don't know who Andy Kaufman is, I would suggest you do some research on that. And there's a great documentary on this, too, about how Jim Carrey basically lost his mind preparing for that role. That nomination, though, for Man on the Moon was for a musical or a comedy, neither of which could describe that film. And that only reinforced the typecasting. Jim Carrey was also nominated for a Best Actor Award by both BAFTA and the Golden Globes for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind which is a legitimately great movie. In that movie, he plays a man who undergoes a procedure to have his memory wiped of impressions of his girlfriend after a bad breakup. Uh, Spoiler alert, it does not go well. So incidentally, Kate Winslet, his co-star in the film, did get a Best Actress Oscar nomination for the film. Jim Carrey's actually never been nominated for Academy Award, believe it or not. And she's continued to progress in what has become a much-celebrated career as a dramatic actress. I suppose Titanic, a little film you might have heard of, uh, helped a bit there. And of course, Kate Winslet never sold a decapitated parrot with a taped-on head to a blind kid in a movie. So there's that also. It's truly unfortunate, though, that Jim Carrey never received any significant dramatic film roles after that outside of an unfortunate run of a couple of bad horror films in the mid-2010s. I think he deserved more of a chance to display his shops as a dramatic actor, even though that opportunity has probably passed. Of course, this is not necessarily an uncommon occurrence. Robin Williams never really got his due as a dramatic actor outside of the Oscar win for Goodwill Hunting. And more recently, Adam Sandler's manic performance and uncut gems was pretty much ignored by the awards circuit, the major awards at least. So what did he do? He went and made Hubie Halloween for Netflix, which sucks, unsurprisingly. Side note, that movie filmed across the street from my house last summer, and it's still terrible. So here's hoping that Jim Carrey gets another prominent film role deserving of his dramatic chops somewhere down the line and maybe a Lifetime Achievement Oscar as well. And if Jim Carrey's publicist is listening to this little monologue, I mean, this sounds like a pretty good podcast to come on, right? Now, let's take a moment to listen to a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back. All righty then. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e.com. Remember, that's timesolv.com. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have, and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. Okay, welcome back. It's about time to get to the olive salad on top of this muffaletta sandwich. Let's interview our guest. My guest today is Melissa Rogozinski, CEO of RPC Strategies. Melissa, thanks for joining us. Jared, 
I am absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good. All right. So this will be a very comfortable experience for you, I promise. So why don't you tell the folks listening who you are, what you do, so they can get a little sense of uh, where you're at? Sure. Thank you. So Melissa Rogo Rogozinski, because about 90% of the people that have known me my entire life cannot pronounce my last name. <laughs> so when I was 14, they gave me the nickname of Rogo. So you can call uh -huh. me Rogo. Um, I have Should spent, I do that during the whole show? I can do that if you want. My friends call me Rogo. Are you okay. my friend? I would consider myself a friend. Go ahead. I think you are. Okay. <laughs> so I've been in law for 26 years, my entire career. And I started out as a litigation paralegal for the first 11 years. I have a paralegal degree. Mm. And then a few years later, I went back to school working full time during the day and got my degree at night in communications and marketing. And then after I finished that degree, I got a position in sales, working for a legal tech company, selling court reporting and videography, trial presentation, and eventually e-discovery because we got acquired. And so ah. that's really where I got my feet wet in legal tech. Mm. Um, a few years into that, when the federal rules had changed in 2006, some lawyers and judges and I in Birmingham sat down and kind of discussed the idea that there was a need for better education because at the time, everybody was really just focused on like New York and D.C. and Chicago mm -hmm. and kind of the bet the company cases. But, you know, practicing attorneys in places like Alabama weren't getting the resources they needed. So we came up with um, our own way of doing things and we created the ESI Roundtable. And it was a collaboration oh, yes. between lawyers and judges um, mm -hmm. to do the education without a sales pitch. Um, even though as a vendor, I kind of facilitated it. Um, and it's something that really worked for us. And that's how I ended up in business for myself a few years later. Gotcha. Thank you. We went deep all the way back to 2006 there. Thank you. Ask me more questions. Oh, well, the questions are coming. Okay. <laughs> so I know we wanted to talk a little bit about conferences. You got a series of conferences coming up. I'm going to get to that. But mm -hmm. let's talk about the conference environment in legal right now. Sure. You may have heard there's a pandemic going on. Times are strange right now. Uh, you know what? Thank you for letting me know because, yeah. as I mentioned I before, you've seen that. I rely on everybody else to give me the news. So thank you. Well, here I am. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, like we were talking about, we're recording this on January 8th. We had a good run in 2021. Good times. Now, we're looking like probably another, I'm guessing, nine months to a year before people go back to in-person conferences at least. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people are struggling with the virtual conference experience. Not everybody, but many are, both on the vendor side and on the attendee side. So do you feel the same way? And what do you see as some of the issues of this conversion from a very in-person-based model to now everything shifted to the web? Yeah. So, you know, I see one particular problem that pre-existed COVID and still is a problem today um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more in depth about that, but just the general interaction and engagement and ultimate ROI for vendors at trade shows and conferences yeah. um, was not good before COVID. And I mean, it just took a nosedive since COVID in the virtual environment. And, you know, we've seen the bigger organizations um, try to go virtual. Um, there've been some successes. There's been some technology glitches. You know, hopefully everybody's been patient about that um, because this is something that's new to all of us in this environment. I think we're seeing a lot of Zoom fatigue, too. And so, you know, the question is, how do we 
make those. We're going to be in this virtual environment for a while. I agree. I think we'll be through this in this through the rest of the year, certainly. So how do we make those virtual education opportunities more engaging, exciting and tolerable? Other than kegs, right? Because that's one potential solution. <laughs> Other than alcohol, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think this is true. Like, on the vendor side, you're right. Like, mm-hmm. vendors probably viewed limited utility in in-person conferences in some senses. And now it's even worse in virtual conferences. So, like, mm-hmm. how do you improve that? Like, what thoughts do you have on that? Can you give us your best ideas? I won't steal them, I promise. No, it's fine. It's. Um, I totally will anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> That's why I'm here, right? Um, <laughs> right. I was, it was so funny. I'm going to answer your question, but I was talking to this one of my neighbors last night, and he's a good 20 years younger than me. And I happened to mention, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've got to get to bed early, and you know, because I'm doing a podcast interview tomorrow. He's like, "Oh my God, you really are famous." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "It's true, you are." <laughs> no, the person who's interviewing me is famous, and he's going to make me famous. So. Wait, really? All right, yeah, let's do yeah. this. Okay, yeah. so give us your best tips. You get even more famous. <laughs> so. Um, as far as what the the vendors really want out of it, honestly, is the same thing that the attendees want out of it. They just want better engagement. And it's really that simple. Yeah. Um, and everybody's been doing things the same way. And, you know, when we started doing the roundtable a few years ago, an attorney came to me with an idea. And basically, everybody's just, everyone on both sides of the fence is just tired of the sales pitch, the demo, the setting up a booth and trying to get people to stop by, you know, in the middle of conference. <laughs> right. um, get your stickers at all the yeah, booths. And, you know, give me my little light up pens or something like that or my squeezy balls. Or, oh, the best one is being at a conference booth as a vendor and um, someone sending their kids around with a grab bag like it's Halloween to get oh. the, all the, yeah, the swag from vendors. Send your kids around. Well, you can't say no to somebody's kid, it's right? True. My kids have so much legal swag, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so just better engagement and purposeful, meaningful engagement. What's going to help me as a practitioner? And what does the vendor want? The vendor wants your business, but it has to be done in a more purposeful, meaningful way. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I think has been at issue in a lot of virtual conferences that I've attended. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a lot of talking head stuff, right? Even right. more so than it was in person. So. What do you think are the best ways to generate engagement in terms of like communication in a group setting online? Because it's tough to get people to participate. I mean, you get some people who don't turn their video camera on, some people have terrible audio, some people who don't know their video camera is on. It's an ugly situation. Let's be real. Sure. I think, first of all, the best thing to do is to keep it in bite sizes. Um, mm. These half day, all day, or multiple day conferences, I think, are really. Um, those are tough because I've attended a few too. Keep it in bite sizes. And one of the biggest problems that these major conferences have is that they were such huge revenue generators for them. And I think, um, unfortunately, when this happened, they were scrambling because mm. they were going to lose buckets full of money <laughs> by not yeah. being able to have these conferences. So yeah. I think the way that they pivoted and tried to recover, I'm not sure how well it worked out for them. Um, so, mm. But I think keeping it bite size creating more engaging conversations. It can't be just a one-way dialogue. It definitely can't be a sales pitch or a demo. Mm -hmm. And you really have to know who your audience is. You have to be very meaningful with the subject, the topic that you're picking out, um, have a very structured 
um, short, bite-sized agenda and take breaks to ask people, how are you doing? What do you think? Get them engaged. Do little polls. Do little surveys. Feedback um, is good, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like this notion of like multiple days, right? Because I do agree, like four-hour, five-hour, eight-hour conferences, it's exhausting. How do you feel about these asynchronous events that take place? Like people set up conference, there's space to talk in between sessions, but not everybody's there at the same time. Like they can access sessions at different times. Do you like that model or hybrid of that model? Have you used it? The multiple day model, I did. I attended one um, probably three months ago um, over the course of three days. And for us, um, we actually kind of did a divide and conquer as a team because we needed different things out of it. You know, and I'm running two businesses too, so I can't sit there and yeah. commit three full days to that. Um, but, <laughs> right. you know, I cherry picked the programs I wanted to attend. And it was funny because one of my other consultants was attending a particular session with me. And I'm hunting. Like, I'm the salesperson in the company, and, and he's there Figuratively hunting. This is oh not the gosh. most dangerous game, right? <laughs> I, I am such a hunter. Like, whether... Um, <laughs> oh, that's another. That's a whole other podcast, Jared, right now. Um, <laughs> we'll, do the, we'll do the hunting podcast later. Yeah, let's do the hunting podcast later. Um, but I'm like... I'm attending the things because I wanted knowledge from it, but then I was in the chat room <laughs> and looking to who was chatting and go find them on LinkedIn. I would hunt them down, right? And then send them a message, <laughs> connect with them. Or the best thing that I would do, and this is for everybody, like you get into these things and you've got these opportunities to, and no one says anything. I know. It's Crickets. crazy. And I'm like, so I'll listen to a few th- sound bites and I'll grab onto something and I'll throw in a question in the chat. And that's all it takes just to be the first person to do it. And then everybody starts talking. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And who's this? And, and then I start hunting them down on LinkedIn. And I start sending them a LinkedIn. Message, hey, yeah, we got engaged in this conversation, whatever. Right? I'm hunting for prospects. <laughs> so, yeah. um, But somebody's got to start the dialogue. Right, right. And it's tough to get people. And I, I think part of it, like, the other thing I see about, like, the conference aspect here is that, like, everybody's got Zoom fatigue. When somebody tells me, oh, Let's get on a phone call. I'm like, gladly. I can sit in the chair. I don't have the microphone set up. I don't have to be on video. It's great. Have you seen that as an issue in terms of online events? And then how do you get over that? Because I think people want to continue to stay connected, but having constant video conferences is tough for everybody. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's kind of a two-edged sword. Um, when all of this started happening and we started getting on the Zooms, we enjoyed seeing each other. You know, it was just kind of this camaraderie. Okay, we're all in this together. And it comforted people. Um, then people started getting comfortable with realizing we're seeing each other in our homes with our children, our paintings, <laughs> our pets, or, right. you know, whatever. Like, Leo the fat cat's made an appearance more than once, right? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and... Um, and then there was this realization. It's like, oh, wait a minute. We've always had this technology. Why haven't we used it before now? And it's like, ding, ding, ding. Right? right. And it's like, yes. you've got all these legal tech pioneers and thought leaders. It's like, we've been telling you this for 15 years. It's like, what, Back to the Future? is like, hello, McFly. <laughs> <laughs> so, nice. Extra yeah. points for a Back to the Future reference. <laughs> oh, yeah. So now I'm showing my age, and so are you. So oh, I love Back to the Future, unabashedly. But I, yes. Totally. I'll binge it. Totally. Like people can now tell me that my dishes need washing because they can see my dishwasher. It's good times, really. I, I work really hard at getting my lipstick on and drawing in between the lines now <laughs> and make sure my hair is fixed and the makeup and, you know, because I'm the chief show pony. So I have to right. be seen. Right. Very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So. so like the conference circuit, right? 
you got a conference coming up. So you're going to be applying some best practices, I'm sure. You want to talk about that for a little bit? A series of conferences, in fact. Sure. And thank you. Um, yeah, so what happened, we do have um, a series of short uh, workshops coming up for 2021. And what happened is when we had the ESI Roundtable several years ago in Alabama, an attorney came to me one time and he's like, hey, can you come up with a new idea for something? I'm not sure what you've got. He's like, I'm tired of these sales pitches and demos. And I had a situation where, you know, I had all these meetings and I finally decided on a vendor. We get into the case and somewhere in the middle, we realized they weren't the right fit. But by that time, especially with eDiscovery, you can't pivot. So he's like, can you come up with a way? He's like, I'd really like an opportunity to test drive the technology before I have to buy it. And so we came up with this idea of doing these hands-on training workshops. And it was back in 2013. And so, yeah. So you've been working on this for a while. We've done it a few times, yeah. Mm. And um, so we planned it for August of 2013, and we planned this all-day conference. And basically what I did is I had two sessions in the morning with educators and then two breakout sessions. Then we had lunch, and then we did it again in the afternoon. And I based on the topics of the conference, because the topics are chosen by the attendees. Um, they tell us what they want to hear about what they need to learn on. Um, and it's it's really engaging, too, because it's not just a CLE speaking. It's designed to be conversational. But mm. then I cherry-picked the vendors who sponsored it, the workshops to make sure that they lined up with the topics so that it actually made sense, right? So we talk about something. Now we're going to show you a technology that can help you solve that problem. But it wasn't a demo. What we did is we divided the attendees into small groups. And so we'd be together for the educational sessions, but then we would have these pre-organized breakout groups and we would walk them around during the day to each separate room where the vendors were set up one at a time wasn't a trade show, was an exhibit hall. Each vendor had their own small conference room and they stayed put. We walked the smaller groups of the attendees around. Everybody brought their own computer. I worked with the vendors going into it to be very particular about what they demonstrated. And I'm like, do not give a sales pitch. Do not give a demo. If you do, <laughs> I will not invite you back. You need to teach them how to do something. You're going to teach them how to test drive a component of this. That's so cool. we worked through that. And the first time we did it, and I remember walking in that day, Jared, and I thought, oh, my God, what am I doing? I've never done anything like this before. I was terrified. You were um, like, if we so, made a terrible mistake. Oh, but I bought a pretty new white dress. You know, it was all like, you know, like pretty woman <laughs> stuff, right? So I, I bought this pretty new white dress, and I walk in just owning it like I know what I'm doing and, you know, make the welcome. And so the day goes on, right? And everybody stayed, Jared, everybody stayed on time, on track. They went around with their yes. group leaders to each room, and they did their thing. They moved to the next one. Throughout the entire day, you could feel the energy just – it was like a volcano. And by the end of the day, the volcano just erupted and spewed, and, like, everybody was excited. And it just – it was such a tremendous success. And everybody's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. So we started doing it on an annual basis until – um and I had a guest speaker, like a keynote speaker, like Judge Peck was our first one. Um, and um, he was so funny. He, when I called him, he didn't know who I was from a hole in the wall. And <laughs> now so you're I best pitched buds, this I bet. Oh, my God. I pitched this idea to him. And he's like, wait a minute. You want me to come to Alabama in August? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. 
So he did. <laughs> and, um, you know, we had some fun activities planned before the conference, um, but then the conference went on and it was just, it, and it was bite size. It was all day. It, yeah. it was engaging. It was constantly engaging, but it was meaningful and it was purposeful. And by the end of the day, it was so successful. So we started doing it annually until I had to take a professional sabbatical. And about a year ago, I was approached by a potential angel investor who later ended up with a conflict. And he was like, what's it going to take to relaunch the round table? Oh, there was, was like, what demand. do you mean? Yeah. Pent up demand like, for the round yeah. table. Well, he comes in. The first thing he says, he's like, well, what's your number? I was like, uh, you have my number. <laughs> <laughs> and, Why do you want my number? <laughs> um, you know, and he was obviously talking about different numbers. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, so, that number. <laughs> that number. Okay. All right. So, but then he ended up with a conflict. But by then we had put together a new advisory board and we had put all of the materials back together again. And, um, you know, the people who were still involved just looked at me and we ran the numbers and it's like, we don't need that much to do this. We can do this ourselves and just bootstrap this. And they're like, oh, right. let's do it. Right. right? Well, that, well, that's the thing. Like it, what people don't realize is that you're not booking hotels anymore. You're not mm -hmm. going to be buying food for people. This, I don't have to buy a flight to travel all over yeah, the place. Yeah, the overhead for this stuff is so low now. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the only thing was that we had to figure out can we replicate the hands-on training mm. part in a virtual environment? Can we do it successfully without the technology breaking down and without some of the other issues that we've seen? Can we keep it engaging and make sure that everybody who comes to the table, the sponsors and the attendees, get what they want? And we beta tested it about half a dozen times, and it worked. Beta testing conferences, good mm -hmm. idea as well. Look at mm -hmm. this, you're bringing the heat. So we've reached the end of the interview segment. So I want to okay. know two things. One is how can people- You want my number? For, yeah. Yeah, what's your number? <laughs> how, how can people find out more about the roundtables? And then how can people find out more about you and RPC? Sure. So we, we do have two companies. Um, RPC Strategies is risingphoenix.guru. The Roundtable's new website and new branding can be seen at rpcroundtable.com. And my number is 205-873-1234. Yes, it's a real number. You actually I've gave had it for her 20 your number. Years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. I've had that for 20 years. But Everybody's um, got your number now. Now everybody's got my number. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Root, I didn't even know you could get that. All right. So everybody, Melissa's excited. I'm excited. We got Melissa's number. Check out the roundtable. Check out her website for RPC. And um, we'll be right back with the rump roast, the tail end of the legal toolkit. It's even more supple than the roast beast. But first, we'll hear from our sponsors one more time. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. Welcome, one and all to the rear end of the legal toolkit, the rump roast. 
It's a grab bag of short form topics of my choosing. So, Melissa, we talked before about your nickname. It's a pretty cool nickname. Go by Rogo. So, in this segment, this is when the podcast becomes a test of wills. So, we roll out a little quiz mm-hmm. almost every time. So, I got a mm-hmm. quiz for you. Okay. I'm going to give you a list of some famous people who are known by their nicknames. I'm going to tell you the nickname, and then I want to see if you can give me the real name. Are you ready to play? Um, I fell. Yes. <laughs> well, well, don't. <laughs> Let's start and see where it goes. I'm going to start okay. off real easy for you. Okay. All right? All right? And this is less a nickname than a pen name, but I'm making an exception. Mark Twain. What's Mark Twain's real name? I don't know. Okay. Samuel Clements. All right. Are you ready for number two? I think you got number two. Okay, all right, let's, let's go. <laughs> J-Lo. Jennifer Lopez. All right, all right. We're thank God two. she makes 50 look good. I'm looking forward to it now. <laughs> is Jennifer Lopez oh, really God. 50? Wow. Yeah, she's over 50. So is Sandra Bullock. So good is Jennifer her. Aniston. And I'm like, oh, thank God. There's life after 50. <laughs> I'm getting close. <laughs> Much life after 50. Okay, next. I'm going to get a little okay. bit harder from here on okay. out. Okay, all right. Tony Orlando and Don. Musical group. Real name. Real names, plural. Tony, Orlando, and Don? Mm-hmm. You know See, them, this is, knock three no, times. No, this is why I should have been watching the news more often and not I'm relying on other people. Uh, I will tell you, Tony, Orlando, and Don have not been in the news for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> Got any I guesses? have no idea. No, the first part's no easy. Tony Orlando's name. Actually, Tony Orlando. Don is two people, two backup singers. Telma Hopkins and Joyce Vincent Wilson. So uh, if you haven't listened to Tony Orlando and Don in a little while, here's your opportunity to do so. All right, I got two more for you. You, okay. you feeling confident? You ready to roll here? Nope, I'm feeling like I'm going to fail, but keep going. <laughs> well, go ahead anyway. Okay, nickname number four. Okay. I'm going to give you a category, sports. Mm-hmm. Oh my splendid, God, please don't splendid, let it be Alabama football. I don't have any Alabama football. Okay, games. okay, all right. Why? Would you, would you know all those, or would you be embarrassed if you didn't? Move on. <laughs> okay. The Splendid Splinter. Who's that? I have no idea. All right. Well, this is good. This has become a very educational mean podcast. Green. Mean Joe Green. Uh, oh, good guess. Good guess. But I think his nickname is Mean Joe. Um, Splendid <laughs> Splinter, Ted Williams, Red Sox player in the 1940s. Okay. okay. Number five. Mm-hmm. Number five. Well, let's go back to music for this one. <laughs> okay. You've got like, you got the Southern thing going on. You're, mm-hmm. al- you're in Alabama. I, mm-hmm. I kind of have expectations for this one. I hope the, they're low. The, <laughs> <laughs> the nickname is Bocephus. Who's that? Oh my God. Country singer. I'll give you a clue. Oh, Jesus. I know this one. It's not Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, it is not Jesus. It's not Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus was not known as Bocephus. <laughs> no. Um, but good guess. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. It's on the tip of my tongue. This is so bad. I know exactly who it is. <laughs> and he drinks a whole lot. I know that. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that could describe any country singer. <laughs> All right. Hank Williams, Williams Jr. Jr. Yes. Correct. <laughs> Jesus. So, well, that's right. But, it's not Jesus Christ. I keep forgetting. No, no. no Bocephus okay. is not Jesus. We've established yeah. that. So he was named after a Grand Ole Opry comedian's ventriloquist dummy, which I don't think that's particularly complimentary. Nicknamed by his own father that way. 
my middle name, my parents let the woman who shared a hospital room with my mother give me my middle name. What? Is your middle name Bocephus? No. Okay. Are you willing to share or no? Sure. It's Melissa Renee Rogozinski. Oh, well, that, mm-hmm. you did pretty well. Yeah. Like she could have named you seven or something like that. And that would have been just Or weird. have you seen the name of the seventh child of Elon Musk? I saw it in a news article today. I didn't know he had seven children. A, I guess he can I, afford them. It's a bunch of digits and some made up Elven alphabet letters. Oh my and God. apparently neither parent can pronounce the child's name. That's great. What's wrong with yeah. people? That kid's sure to not be messed up. But he is now the richest man on the planet. Yeah, you could have like so. 700 kids and be Just okay. call your kid X. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right, so we delved into kids' names now. I think that's probably a good point in time at which to stop what we're doing. So, Melissa, thank you. You were grace for it. <laughs> you did pretty well on the quiz. I, I got say. J-Lo. I'm, I'm personally proud of you. I, I'm, you J-Lo. I'm thrilled. J-Lo. I'm, I'm she, also going to give you happy. Hank Williams Jr. because you knew who okay. that was. I feel All like right. you knew who that was. All right. So maybe barely passing grade. I'm going to give you like a 50, which is passing in my book. If that was a baseball average, you'd be hitting 500. You'd be doing really well. Okay. Now that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where we don't do humans. Looking for a podcast that was created for new solos? Then join me, Adriana Linares, each month on the New Solo Podcast. We talk to lawyers who have built their own successful practices and share their insights to help you grow yours. You can find New Solo on the Legal Talk Network or anywhere you get your podcasts.